And I had had surgeries in the past. I had surgery on my back, um, on my sacrum and my spine. So I've been through surgeries and I know what surgery entails, but this was very different. Welcome to the podcast where we get into the real and raw of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. My name is Hannah Gill. I'm a VIABAC mom, doula, and birth educator, and I help women discover their options and harness their inner power to have the experiences they desire. I'm here to support you through the ebbs and flows of these transformative years so we can have open and honest conversations about the hard, the messy, and the beautiful parts of motherhood. This is the Ebb and Flow Birth Show. everyone. Welcome to episode number one of the Ebb and Flow Birth Show. Are you excited? Because I am so excited to finally have this podcast launched and out in the world. And thank you so much for being here with me. My name is Hannah. And on this first episode, I'm going to talk about what brought me here. How I went from preparing for the birth of my first child and then having it end in a traumatic C-section to having a beautiful V-back with my second child and now owning my own business as a doula and birth educator. It has really been a crazy four years for me. (laughs) Um, And you know, if you would have told me five to 10 years ago that I would be a doula or have my own business, all while also working a full-time job and being a mom to two kids, I would have said you were freaking crazy. (laughs) I didn't even know what the heck a doula was back then. And I wanted to go to medical school to be a forensic pathologist, which, I mean, I did go to grad school for forensic biology, but a doula is obviously nowhere near that profession. My first birth experience is really what started all of this. If you have given birth before, think back to what preparing for that birth felt like to you and what it looked like. Did you take a birth class? Did you just find information online? Did you read books, like what to expect when you're expecting? Did you feel that you had like all the information and support that you needed to have the birth experience you wanted? Or did you even know the true type of birth experience that you truly wanted to have? If you haven't given birth yet or you will be soon, do you know what type of birth you want? Or how are you preparing? Are you exploring all of your options? Or are you going with the flow and doing what everyone in your friend and family group has done. And I knew for the most part what type of birth experience I wanted. And as a first-time mom, I thought I was fully preparing. But looking back, oh my gosh, I was not prepared at all. And I hear this a lot from moms, from first-time moms, that thought they were prepared and then had some type of bad outcome. And it just makes me so sad because that's not how it should be. You know, we shouldn't have to use your first birth experiences as a trial run or practice round. You should have all the education and the support from the very beginning. It's not, shouldn't be special for for second, third, fourth time moms. That first time should be just as beautiful and amazing as if you were to prepare the second time around. So before I get into my pregnancy and birth, I kind of want to talk a little bit about conception immediately prior to pregnancy in my experience. So in August 2018, I decided to stop birth control. 
not because we were trying to get pregnant, but just because I was tired of being on birth control. I'd been on it the majority of my life. And from the time I started my period, I was pretty much on the pill. And then I went, I had an IUD for a year and it was horrible. But that is for another episode entirely. I decided to completely stop birth control in August of 2018, primarily because of the side effects and they were horrible and I was over it. But um, my husband and I had also gotten married in 2016. So I wasn't really concerned about getting pregnant. It was fine if it happened. Shortly after I got off the pill, I started having two periods a month. That was honestly brutal and clearly abnormal. So in December of 2018, I made an appointment with my doctor to see what was going on. And then in January 2019, I was officially diagnosed with PCOS. I didn't have the typical PCOS symptoms. I was having the two periods a month. I had high levels of testosterone, extreme acne, which I had had since I started my period when I was when I was younger. But then um, via an ultrasound, I also had what they call the string of pearls, which is a buildup of follicles on the ovaries um, from lack of ovulation. So those were my symptoms. And my doctor had mentioned that it could be PCOS that I had my entire life since starting my period that was being masked by birth control. So the symptoms were being masked, or it could have been birth control induced PCOS. And I honestly think it was birth control induced because I no longer have active symptoms since having children. So it was just the symptoms started immediately. Well, not immediately, but a few months after I ended birth control. And then the symptoms resolved pretty much after I I started having kids. So in January 2018, that's when I was diagnosed. And my husband and I decided that since it could possibly take us a while to conceive, we wouldn't try, but we would wouldn't prevent either. So thankfully, we were very lucky to get pregnant right away. And I got pregnant in March and found out the beginning of April 2019. So that's another reason why I think it may have just been birth control induced because I was able to conceive very quickly. And generally, women with PCOS have problems with conception. To prepare for my pregnancy and birth, I took a basic hospital birth education class as well as an advanced labor class that was based in the hospital. And that was to prepare for an unmedicated birth. So I did want to go unmedicated, which was a little bit different than what my friends and family had done, but it's something that I wanted to do. And I thought I was so prepared by taking those two classes and reading a couple of books, but I did nothing else besides that. I took the classes, I read the books, but I did not implement anything I was learning. My pregnancy was kind of rough, mainly because my morning sickness lasted the entire time. I had maybe a one-week break between my first and second trimester, but that was it. And I even vomited throughout my entire labor. It was great. (laughs) It was just a, a hectic experience. But later in my pregnancy, I was diagnosed with gestational thrombocytopenia, which is a low blood platelet count. So that can obviously cause issues with your blood clotting because you have low platelets. And they just continue to measure measure that level throughout pregnancy and it continued to get lower and lower. And the main concern with this is obviously hemorrhaging. And then if you do want an epidural placed, if your platelets are too low, you could risk out of getting an epidural. And I was planning not to have one, but the possibility of not having an option was kind of scary to me. So I was really open to 
either option, I guess. And then in the third trimester, a couple of weeks before my due date, I had a growth ultrasound, which is common, especially if you are with an OB in a hospital, but it's not necessarily needed. They're usually used to see how baby is growing and predict the baby's size, which I now know is not extremely accurate. It can vary a few pounds either direction. But my son was measuring larger than average and uh, per the ultrasound. And my OB said that if I wanted to schedule an induction due to the size, I could, um, but it was completely up to me. And I did end up scheduling an induction for 39 weeks, specifically 39 plus six. So almost to my due date. I also chose to get membrane sweeps at 38 and 39 weeks exactly, just because I didn't know any different. It was offered to me as an option. So I said, yeah, sure, let's, let's do it. And I just thought it was normal to do that. But I had a membrane sweep at 39 weeks exactly on a Monday. And I was two centimeters dilated at the time and 90% effaced. And I went into labor the next day. I don't know if that was due to the membrane sweep or if it was just because my body was ready. I had felt like in my third trimester that my baby was going to be coming in early just because of how I was feeling and how large I was. I just had this gut instinct. but my baby was also extremely low in my pelvis pretty early in my third trimester, like already getting really low. So I just felt like he was going to come early. So labor started on Tuesday uh, at 39 plus one. And that was around 5 a.m. right after my husband, Scott, had left for work, of course. So everyone I had talked to in pregnancy told me, oh yeah, labor will start gradually over a few weeks or a few days. You'll start to get some contractions here and there. They'll slowly build up in intensity and how close they are together. And then they'll get really intense through active labor. This is not at all how my labor started. And as soon as my contractions began, they were around seven to 10 minutes apart. And they were so intense that I was really having to focus and breathe through them. I tried to get in the shower to see if they would calm down, but they just continued to get stronger. So I knew that it was definitely labor. And while I was in the shower, I started timing the contractions consistently with an app. And after about 20 minutes in the shower, they were about four to five minutes apart. At this point, I was really like slightly panicked. And I called Scott at work and told him to get home. I got out of the shower and I got dressed. And then I started like bouncing and rocking on my birth ball to help get me through the contractions. And then basically, as soon as he got home, we we grabbed the hospital bag and decided to go straight to the hospital because of how intense things already were. And I feel like that's the first time, mom, you're just like, ooh, contractions or your water breaks and you just run to the hospital. And <laughs> like you've seen the movies, but that's just not at all how it should be. And then we got to triage and we got to the hospital and I got in my gown. I went to the bathroom and at this point I was I was vomiting and getting sick and and they checked my dilation and I was about three to four centimeters and a hundred percent effaced. And they also checked my platelet levels at this point because they had to make sure they were not too low for me to get an epidural. They came back as being right on the cutoff of where they needed to be for me to get an epidural. So I decided that once we got back to being admitted to our room, I was going to get the epidural. I was obviously not mentally prepared for what I was feeling and how fast the contractions came on. And I didn't want the option to be taken away from me later if my platelet levels dropped. So I decided to go ahead and get one. And I got that around five centimeters dilation. Once I got the epidural, I pretty much napped with a peanut ball between my legs the entire time. And 
it was it kind of threw Scott off because he was being prepared to like have to be active and and supporting me. Uh, But we were very relaxed. Uh, And once I got to nine centimeters, my labor didn't stall, but I had just been at nine centimeters longer than I had been at any other dilation. So my OB had mentioned that if she if I wanted her to break my water, she could since my my bag was bulging. And I told her, yeah, just go ahead and break it. And after that, I quickly got to 10 centimeters and I labored down for a while and continued to rest since I had the epidural and I wasn't really feeling much of anything. And I will note that my entire labor was extremely quick from the time I felt my first contraction to when my son was born was only 13 hours, which I know is extremely fast for a first time mom. And I know that not first, not all first time moms have that quick or not exactly easy, but quick labor experience. So when I did finally start pushing, I was in the traditional semi-reclined position, but not flat on my back. But my epidural was so strong that I didn't feel anything at all. I didn't feel pressure. I didn't feel an urge to push. I literally felt nothing. And my nurse had offered during pushing to bring the mirror down from the ceiling so I could actually see myself pushing. Um, but I declined that. And looking back, I wish I would have just used it to help my progress and see how I was doing with pushing. Because my epidural was so strong, I was not pushing effectively. Pushing was a very surreal experience because I didn't feel what I thought I was going to feel during pushing. So I didn't know how to push properly and I couldn't feel how to push properly. I just felt like nothing was happening. And of course, I was doing the coach pushing that they do in the hospital where you count to 10, holding your breath and then push, 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 push. And at one point, my son did have a slight heart deceleration for a moment and they told me to stop pushing. They put an oxygen mask on me and then had me rest. But that was the only time he really didn't handle labor well and his heart rate went right back up and never dropped again. And we just kept going through this process of pushing and in total, I pushed for right around four hours but he just continued to go back up into the birth canal after each round of pushing. He just wasn't coming down. And he ended up being in, um, we found out later, he ended up being asynclitic. So he was just not in a good position for coming through the birth canal. His head was tilted sideways. At this point, my OB came in and we had talked a little bit. And it was at that point, I opted for a C-section. And I wasn't even really tired from pushing just because I mean, my epidural was so strong, I really didn't even feel like I was pushing. But I just thought, well, it's been forever. He's not coming down. He's probably just not going to come out. And there wasn't any sort of emergency. So things were very calm. We were both stable. And once we decided that, okay, we're going to do the C-section, my mom and Scott's mom both came back to the room to see us before I went back to the OR. And I had had surgeries in the past. I had surgery on my back, um, on my sacrum and my spine. So I've been through surgeries and I know what surgery entails, but this was very different. My mom was crying, which of course made me start crying. And I was just very emotional because my birth was not going how I had planned or envisioned because a C-section was not even on my radar. They talked about it in the birth class I took, but of course, I'm pretty sure I just glanced over it because in my mind, I was thinking, okay, a C-section that's something that's emergent for whatever reason you have like an emergency. It's not going to apply to me. So mentally, I just felt like I got slapped in the face because it wasn't even on my radar and I wasn't expecting it to happen. So I was very, very mentally unprepared for this process. 
And this is where the traumatic experience really started for me. When we got back to the OR and they started the C-section, I felt more pain than I realized I would. And because my epidural was so strong during pushing, I hadn't expect to feel what I was feeling. The doctors and nurses and everyone I had talked to described it as you would feel like a pressure, but to me, it felt like actual pain. So I was crying and telling Scott that it really, really hurt. So he told the anesthesiologist to give me more of whatever pain medication they were using to help me not have so much pain. And I don't know if it was because of the medication or because I was just so overwhelmed with the process. But at this point, I I dozed off for a few minutes. And the next thing I remember was I woke up and Scott was yelling, babe, it's a boy, because we didn't know if it was a boy or girl. But I don't remember his first cry or meeting him for the first time. The only reason I'm able to piece together those memories was because of the photos that were taken, thankfully. But really, when I think back in my mind, it's it's all a blur with just blips of memories in between. And that was one of the hardest parts Like was even though I was awake, I wasn't there. I wasn't coherent and I wasn't connected with the moment. I was just in so much pain. It was just like overwhelming and and all-consuming. When we finally got back to the recovery room after the C-section, I was told that I had hemorrhaged and lost more blood than they would like to see during a C-section. Thankfully, I did not need any blood transfusions. It was just more than what was considered normal. And my blood pressure also dropped extremely low. So I became hypotensive and on the verge of passing out. And normally my my blood pressure is really low anyways. It's usually around like 100 over 60 or 90 over 50. And it was like that throughout my entire pregnancy as well. But now it just dropped even lower. And that along with the hemorrhage could have easily been due to my low platelet levels due to the, the clotting issues. And since I was on the verge of passing out and was extremely res- wasn't extremely responsive, I wasn't really able to hold Hudson on myself on my own. But I wanted that golden hour so badly, where he would be skin to skin and breastfeeding. And I really, really wanted breastfeeding to work out. And so I had Scott hold Hudson to help him nurse while the nurses were trying to stabilize me. So I'm sitting here like shaking on the verge of passing out, having Scott hold Hudson so he could breastfeed. And it's just it was just a whirlwind of of emotions and, and just a crazy experience there in the recovery room. And then after we left the recovery room, I was moved to antepartum, which is like between recovery and postpartum. Sometimes if there's not postpartum rooms available or if you need extra care and observation, like if you had complications, you can go to the antepartum room. But I was there for a little while. Um just to make sure I remain stable due to the the hemorrhage and the um, episode of hypotension. But then we finally were being moved to a postpartum room, I think the next day. And at this time, Scott had left to go back to the house to shower, grab some things and check on the dogs. So it was just me and my dad and Hudson at the hospital. And when we got to the postpartum room, the nurses needed to switch me from the bed I was currently on to the the bed in the postpartum room. And to do this, they had to use the sheet that was under me that I was laying on to kind of slide me from one bed to the other. And as soon as they began sliding me over, I felt a pain in my abdomen that felt like it was completely being ripped open. And it was the worst pain I'd felt in my entire life. 
And I let out a scream so loud, and it was a sound I had never heard myself make before. And I really never want to hear myself or anyone else make that noise again. And I was crying so hard, I couldn't catch my breath. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see my dad. He was facing away from me, but he had one hand on Hudson's bassinet, and the other was wiping away his own tears because he was crying because of the pain I was experiencing. And out of my entire birth experience, that was the most traumatic thing that happened. The pain that I was having and that blood-curdling scream that I let out and then seeing my dad be in such an emotional state because of the pain I was in. It was just, oh my gosh, it was such an overwhelming experience. And I can, I remember it vividly like it was yesterday. The birth experience from the C-section on was extremely traumatic for me. And I'm finally to the point now where I can tell that story without just completely breaking down and sobbing. I still get emotional, but I can at least hold myself together now and articulate my feelings. And I know that trauma stays with you and that it will never completely go away, but it does get easier and it has gotten easier over time. And from talking to people on Instagram, other social media, friends and family, I know that many women go through this experience or something similar, and it's just heartbreaking to me because I've been through it and it's just not okay. And I feel like we really need to start talking more about birth trauma in general, but also trauma from unnecessary C-sections. Because I will say that my cesarean was not emergent, my son and I were both stable, and there were no major complications. I... I just simply opted for a C-section after four hours of pushing because I didn't know of any other options that I had. I just thought, okay, it's too long. It's the cutoff time to go back for C-section. But I just, I know that women, other women have gone through similar experiences and you're not alone and your feelings are valid. Yes, of course, I know you want to celebrate that your baby was born and you just, you want to feel thankful for them being here. But it's okay to mourn the experience you wanted. You can feel robbed of the experience you thought you would have. You can feel angry and sad or not really grateful for your C-section or for your birth trauma. All of your feelings are valid and your experience is valid and it matters. You matter, your baby matters, and all of that is valid and you are not alone. If you did have a similar experience, whether it be a C-section birth trauma from a vaginal birth, which does happen, or any sort of trauma during pregnancy, birth, or postpartum, or if you feel like this story has resonated with you at all, please contact me because I just want to listen. I know when I was going through, I just wanted someone to listen to me. I didn't need advice. I didn't care about their story. I just wanted someone to listen. So if you feel like someone's not listening to what you have to say, or you feel like maybe you're scared to share how you're feeling, someone you know or friends or family, um, you just want to talk through your birth story or have someone listen to you, send me a DM on Instagram at Ebb and Flow Birth Co. Just let me know how this experience made you feel, how you're feeling about your experience in the past or an upcoming one. Just let me know because that's that's why I'm here. That's why I'm, I'm having this platform is I want to be here for you all. I want you to know that you're not alone and that other people are going through similar experiences as you. So please reach out. So this entire birth experience is what really started all of this for me. 
So it started my interest in becoming a childbirth educator because I felt failed by the childbirth education classes that I took in the hospital. And I really wanted to educate women on their options because I felt like I was not prepared for what happened to me, mentally or physically. I didn't know what what my rights were, that I had certain rights in the hospital. I didn't know what my options were or what to do in certain situations and how to handle all of that. Thankfully, though, I I took the step shortly after having my son to begin preparing for a better birth experience before we even were trying to conceive again. I mean, I looked, started looking up VBAC and everything like five weeks postpartum. I didn't even know VBAC was a term at that point. I just assumed everyone that had a C-section, like they could have a vaginal birth afterwards. What's the big deal? It wasn't until I started looking into things that I realized there was so much pushback. But I started healing from my trauma and educating myself on my options and really just working on my mindset and, and my fears surrounding birth. And all of that helped me to have a beautiful, healing, unmedicated VBAC last year, which I will tell that story on a future episode because it is it is a story worth its its own episode as well. So that is the experience. That's the birth story that started it all. And if you guys enjoyed this episode, if it resonated with you, if you think someone else would benefit from it, I would greatly appreciate it if you could share this episode or the podcast as a whole on social media or with your friends and family that you think could benefit. I would really appreciate it. Again, thank you all for being here in this space with me and just listening. I'm so excited to finally have this podcast going and to have you join me on this new journey. I'll see you next week. You just finished another episode of the Ebb and Flow Birth Show. For more, head over to ebbandflowbirthco.com or on Instagram at ebbandflowbirthco. As a reminder, this podcast is provided to you for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice. Until next time, bye friends.